the fact that these people are so threatened by defund the police that they need to fight you on it. Because at the end of the day, if something's not effective, people ignore it. If it if it can't pick up traction, if it if it if it's that they would they would leave it alone. But the fact that they constantly feel the need to beat us down on it and talk about it and try to discourage people as much as possible. If a movement had lost steam, if a movement was so ineffective, they wouldn't talk about it. That's just period, point blank done. So the fact that there's this constant effort to to quell support or convince people that um, what they're doing is worth is not worthwhile tells me that it is. on everybody welcome to the pituation room podcast very live very here a little late uh, i'll explain why in a bit but uh, i'm here and super excited to have you guys so thankful for you to uh join me in this uh weekly quest at um you know preserving a little space for us just some we time you know what i'm saying just to have a little a few laughs look at how the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and then wrap it all up with a game and get the F out of here. Uh, but no, uh, if you are here uh, on YouTube or Twitch, thank you so much for being here. Make sure you are subscribed to this channel and supporting it. Um, if you are here as a podcast, oh my God, why don't you leave this podcast five stars? Because we bring you weekly guests like comedian Jenna Friedman, who is joining me in a few, and uh, Olayami Olurin, who is a movement lawyer, a public defender, who's going to be breaking down why we should all be prison abolitionists. Yes, I said it. All right. If this doesn't convert you in the next hour, you lost. You might as well become a cop. No, uh, I kid, but uh, but she is so badass when it comes to this topic uh, from her personal experience, from her work. And I'm so, so, so lucky and thankful that she decided to join me today. Um, so remember to like all the like buttons and click all the click buttons, you know, whatever. Um, and for the bonus, for the patrons, for the Frantifa, I'm going to be doing a solo stream about what's going on in China right now. Um, there are protests that are breaking out and they are... I believe arguably uh, very understandable, but I want to get into it and some of those nuances and some of my thoughts uh, on that. So make sure you are a patron. Patreon.com slash Bituation Room is where you can go. Remember, this show is ad-free 99% of the time uh, and independent. So like, that's this is it's just us, baby. It's just you and the five to 10 bucks to 20 bucks a month, whatever you can give a month. Um, it's a labor of love, uh, as well as there's paid labor too. I have people who help Paige and Max are wonderful. Anywho, the point is this, um, there's all kinds of perks. There's merch, there's all the things. So become a patron right now. What are you waiting for guys? Get your ass on over there. Or you can tip the show TBR dash live on Venmo TBR live on cash app. And don't forget, we're going to be live in San Francisco at Sketchfest on January 22nd at 8 p.m. Um, NATO Green will be there. I will be there. I believe we're doing some stand-up. Um, I've got a lot of writing to do. <laughs> and uh, and then we will dig into, it's not clear who our guest is going to be, um, but, you know, working on a big special guest, I guess, is what I want you to know. 
So get your goddamn tickets. Uh, SFSketchFest.com, I believe, is where you can get that. Uh, and thank you so much, all y'all, for sounding off in the comments and in your brains to yourself on your walk or brushing your teeth or whatever you're doing while you're listening to this, because this is the week where. No, it's not. This is What Are You Bitching About? And for what are you bitching about? I have to bring in uh, my guest for the next little bit, uh, stand-up comedian, creator of Soft Focus on Adult Swim, uh, host, uh, excuse me, writer on The Daily Show and Borat 2, and most recently host and director of Indefensible on AMC+, which everyone should be watching right now, Jenna Friedman. <laughs> Jenna, I have to bring you in for this segment of what we're bitching about because I feel like it might be the same thing. <laughs> Mm. Although, yeah, I should have gotten like a a light on my face. <laughs> I, I was like, I just put the baby down. He was, I was like nursing him, and I was like, I gotta go. And then when you <laughs> delatch them, I'm like, is he gonna be an incel? <laughs> because you delatch, dude. Okay, so Jenna has everyone in the everyone who gives like an incel comment, they were maybe like delatched from their mom prematurely, and they hate women. That's my thesis. Okay, I'll let Darling, you. Darling, first of all, don't put that on us. <laughs> you have an entire stand-up special about how it's actually well, it actually is mother's fault, but it's not. You said it ironically. Um, no, so Jenna's got a what seven-week-old, six, six-week-old. Six yeah, Francesca has a seven and a half, almost eight-week-old. Um, or maybe eight. I can't remember. I can't remember. I like how you talk about yourself in the third person because it's like so like you almost have to disassociate to do it to be a mom. <laughs> that it's like too much. Exactly. Yes, I have. I am. Uh huh. It's a story. I, if I tell it as a story, it feels like mm -hmm. less like I'm living every <laughs> insane moment. But so I wanted to bitch about nursing, which is I think exactly what Jen and I both mm -hmm. just did. And that delatching is very real. Like my baby, first of all, if men could get pregnant, fill in blank. And we've been saying this like all the time, if men couldn't get pregnant, they would not be pregnant because abortions would be free and on demand and everywhere. Um, but if they cho chose to, like we've chosen to, um, nursing is not something I think men would ever fucking partake in. They would use formula and then sell their breast milk on the black market. Yeah. I mean, there, there must be a pill where they can lactate. I'm like trying to fix my hair and then I'm like, it's a lost cause. <laughs> I'm just like, you look great. Um, I think um, this is one of those derpy. Okay. Um, I think that there, there must be a pill where men can lactate. Um, wait, wait. I, what? Yeah. No, they, I mean, we just pump. They over. have nipples, too. There should be. I think we just need more women in STEM to develop more ways that the burden can be taken off of us. Because Absolutely. it's a lot. It's first, a lot. First of all, nursing. I, yes, it is. It's. It's, there's, there's bonding. It's incredible that you can do it. Like that's sort of why I do it is because I'm like, hell yeah, dude, I just turn blood into milk in my own body. But it's also incredibly time consuming. Babies take forever on the boob. They like cry. They shit when their your nipple is in their mouth. They tear at your nipple when they're like trying to get off of it. And so like what my kid does is like I'll put my finger to try and delatch her because she'll start to delatch, but she 
bites down harder when I'm trying to get her off. So I just, you kind of just have to like not get her off, just go with it and be like, I hope it's an easy one this time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Last night he actually, it was like the most painful bite. I mean, okay. So <laughs> no one wants to hear about this. I did stand up for the first time since I taped my special last night. And it was like a parody of a mom doing stand up for the first time. It was awful. I had no jokes. I was just trying to get my sea legs and back on stage. And I was just like, not funny, but like, just for your sake, like, so I thought I had, no one's going to like this, but you, and we should just call each other not while we're being recorded. But I told you that I like <laughs> thought I had mastitis and then the baby went on that boob because like, if you have a breast infection, the, the advice is put the baby on that to suck it out. Like, it's like all the advice is so patronizing and condescending. They're like, Oh, your nipples hurt? Put breast milk on that. Like, what other injuries do we put breast milk on? None. It's like, right. just let us put on, just give us antibiotics. <laughs> like, give us medicine. Like, oh, you're, you're postpartum depression? Did you try putting breast milk on that? If you put breast milk on your C-section wound, <laughs> it'll <you> heal. Put... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it's like. But he did go in there like a little plumber. Like, he, like, went in and he bit on it. I was like, eh. Yeah, and like twist his head, and then the mastitis was gone. Really? Yeah. See, this is this is where I start to. Yeah, get I told you. I told you this actually. I, I you did, and my response was like, "Well, actually, <laughs> the female body does an amazing job." And I got, I went into this whole like magical, like our boobs are magical and breast milk is magical, which is I think exactly what we're also making fun of. Um, mm -hmm. But all to say, it's a fuck ton of work because it's also like the burping, the soothing, the changing, then the doing the other side, the whole, it's just, it's a lot. And yes, there's always formula and yes, there's always pumping and yes, et cetera, and blah, 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 blah. But like, even that, it's almost just easier to just be like, done. Yeah, Anything. he does. No, I know. This isn't going to be online after this, is it? Oh, it's, it lives forever. <laughs> Please don't. I don't want to remember this moment in my life. This podcast is going to try to... This is only going to be a we're going to be bitching about motherhood podcast. And and for those of you who don't care, suck it up, you know, just like you, ha you did on your mom's teat because everyone came into this world the same way. <laughs> I just can't believe it's so like I didn't know until I was three months pregnant that you have to breastfeed like 24 hours like you have to breastfeed like every two to three hours around the clock I didn't no one talked about that and I consider myself like pretty up on women's health and I had no idea about breastfeeding because nobody talks about it because it's so I remember like before I got pregnant, like walking in the airport and seeing like a breast pumping station and being like, Haha, that's weird. You know, like I had no idea, but I'm about to go on a flight tomorrow and I'm going to be like breast, I'm going to be pumping on my flight, not even just so that I don't get a huge breast infection. Right. And, and you can now travel with as much breast milk as you want. So Tell that to ISIS. Because... <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> if you're listening, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. No, it's a you. You'd be a perfect foil for ISIS as well. You know. Thank you. Blonde, new mom. You know, I years before I was talking about breastfeeding, um, <laughs> I had a bit on the internet where there was this terrorist who was very cute, Omar Hamami. He died. Okay. And um, he was like from Alabama and there was a New York Times piece called Jihadist Next Door about how he became radicalized. And he had like, he was kind of, I think one of like the sexiest jihadists. Anyway, I made a <laughs> what video. Made him, what made him sexy? Like nice facial I'll show, hair? I'll send, okay. Yeah, like the cheekbones. I'll send you a Ooh, picture. Yeah. He was good very good looking. Crazy yeah. eyes, but good looking. 
Um, <laughs> I'm actually gonna send you a photo. I mean, we should we should throw up a photo of him. Very good looking. But I wrote, I made this like video like called Jihad Man Hello. And I was like, uh, like joking. Cause I, I think we were doing a live show and I was like looking for like some content to show everybody before the show. And I just made this little video mm-hmm. and I left it on YouTube and it went, it like went viral in 2009 version of viral. It was like, people thought it was real. They didn't think I was joking about it. Yeah. Joking about it. And, um, then I took it offline. Cause like my mom, I was like very excited and I called my mom and, it made her cry and so she made me take it offline because i was like look mom i'm getting attention for being a comedian and she saw it and she's like oh my god take this offline <laughs> did you mm-hmm. i can't find it i think i had yeah i can't find it anymore that's yeah. good of you um i mean th- th- there's always that i think you th- lusting over <laughs> a jihadist is the funniest way i to didn't get know canceled. how i got on that it's the funniest way to get canceled oh, i yeah. don't know I don't know you were why saying I would be a good so... foil for ISIS. Oh yeah, like, yeah. How did I get on that topic? Oh yeah, because like there was a time when like um, you know, like they were like blonde white women were going over to ISIS and getting you know for their Nutella. They would like be like, come join. It's like their gap year. We have Nutella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're Rumspringa. Um, but yeah, thank you. I guess is what I'm saying. Still got it. <laughs> well, good luck know. on the on the flight and and uh, pumping away, and he'll be fine. Do not worry. Um, and but I wanted to. I, that is that is what we're bitching about, guys. Nursing. I hope that's okay, Jenna. That I just t- I just put put words I'm in not, your mouth like the boob. I'm fine. No, I know. I'm completely incoherent right now. I haven't. I don't see people. I really shouldn't be on camera. You're just my friend, so I'm talking to you. Um, but um, you look great, and also this is a podcast too. So they say that, but everything online is now (laughs) yeah people have gotten fired from snl over podcasts so you know right and um exactly but does anyone okay it's it's not a good photo of him that's not a good photo of him that's he's blurry you need a better photo of him when he's older okay page if you're listening to the podcast page just put up two photos of this jihadist and he doesn't look that good but i could see it no he doesn't there's a better you need maybe the video of him. Okay. TBD. Need... Everyone look that up when you, in your spare time. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's sexy. His <laughs> soccer photo when he was like a kid, not hot. But you're right. That was what they put on the New York Times. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> you were like, that does not do him justice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know he killed people, but um, we're going to talk about uh, men killing, well, women specifically a little bit. Because we're going to talk about Jenna's show. And I'm mm-hmm. really excited to get into it. But first... We have to get into more unpleasant things and uh, different things that happened this week. Um, so let's do it. Uh, President Biden living up to status quo Joe, his status quo Joe name by calling on Congress to block the strike of 100,000 rail workers, not only stabbing unions in the back, which Biden supposedly champions, but also stabbing his love of trains in the back. And let's just say this is a very defining moment for rail workers, but also Thomas the Tank Engine. Like, can we just think of him at the, right now? He's actually not even Thomas the Tank Engine anymore. He now goes by Thomas the Tanky, uh, and he just got a tat of Stalin on his caboose. So, way to radicalize them. He just got an invite to go on the Jimmy Dore show also. Former Trump attorney Jenna Ellis has outdone every right-winger as the conversation isn't about gun control song and dance that happens after a mass shooting by saying that the victims of the Club Q massacre were, quote, reaping the consequences of eternal damnation because there was no evidence that the victims were Christian. Wow. Uh, Except there's also no evidence that God exists, you dry cunt. 
A judge has ordered that the Amazon Corporation read a public notice to its workers of the unionized in the New York warehouse JFK 8, uh, in which it commits to end union busting and retaliatory practices. I love this. I hope that they're like have like a list of words that they can't use in this public notice. Like they can't say partner or associate or team member or family or value just say worker just why can't people call workers workers like if they stop devaluing the title it would actually sound good if you actually paid people um there's no joke here i just want to say uh that amazon's going to be unionized like tarde or temprano as they say it's only a matter of time it's not when but if or if but when melania's one woman war on christmas is over. That's right. The blood-soaked trees have been replaced by Jill Biden's adorable decor, complete with a gingerbread house and a We the People theme. It's pretty fucking cute, you guys. I want everyone to know that and look it up later, along with the jihadists. Um, say what you will, though, about Melania's rebellion on Christmas. I think it was feminist as fuck, guys, if you don't remember. You know, who gives a f about Christmas stuff and decoration, but I need to do it, right? Yeah, but go ahead. 100%. You have and no choice. But she resisted, though. I mean, I think that's more feminist than Jill Biden just, like, playing into the patriarchal role of, the, of FLOTUS, right? Just being like, who gives a fuck about Christmas? Trees covered in blood. The San Francisco Police Department is facing backlash over news. They will be using robots capable of lethal force on suspects. SFPD clarified, however, that robots won't be armed with firearms, but they'll be armed with bombs. It's much more of like an ISIS terrorist rather than a domestic mass shooter one. Really top of the line robotics here. Uh, these bots are like the Roombas of police terrorism, y'all. So don't worry. And finally, the Senate runoff in Georgia is just a week away. And I think Raphael Warnock has a huge advantage. I'm just going to say that. And that's because the state also just reinstated its six-week abortion ban. And Herschel Walker is scrambling to pay for those last few nuts he led bust um <laughs> am i supposed to talk i'm still on camera <laughs> you're you're so you're so welcome to talk but i'm about to get into if you want to say something please say it oh no i just want to compliment you on your um camouflage your breast milk camouflage t-shirt <laughs> or like blouse Sorry, it's a it's a onesie and i've decided that onesies mom should only wear onesies because they button up and it's you don't have to think about two things you just one thing i'm wearing the shirt that you recommended jenna's wearing a uh nursing tank that i that yes which is a racket by the way i know we're not i know we actually are talking about news i'm sorry to keep going back to this one topic because <laughs> my brain is like not You're functioning fine. right now every we're just such targets for everything like this is just a tank top that you could just pull down like i like it and i get it but i think all this stuff is unnecessary but I meaning like you should just have titties out or you should, it shouldn't be as expensive. No, as I it think is. it shouldn't be $70, you know, it, when you could just get a tank top for like $20, it's the same thing and just go like that. And so it'd be like, I'm going to unclip it. You know? <laughs> you know I mean? And yet you bought it. Well, cause you told me to, and you were right in terms of, <laughs> well, because most nursing shit just makes you look awful. It's like, okay, it just, like it's super like long you know how tank tops are long anyway the point if is i Jenna have a second jacket on and i need to pop my tit out it makes it's helpful for sure but yes you could just pull down a tank top and be like here you go or um, pull up a tank top 
but it's just extra material all around. We'll debate this later. Um, <laughs> I'm ruining your show today. No, but for everything else, hang on. This is the week where. Okay, let's. We got to talk about Kanye and Trump, and then we'll talk about Jenna's show. Um, but if you thought you had to deal with your racist relatives on Thanksgiving, um, Mar-a-Lago has got you beat. Although there was no one who had a problem with anything that happened at this Thanksgiving dinner, um, best Thanksgiving dinner, honestly, the most accurate when you when it comes to like in the vein of the original Thanksgiving, where like you know white people handed a bunch of blankets with smallpox to native populations that were basically just trying to help them from keep them from starving. And they were like, thank you, fuck you. Um, because this was a Thanksgiving dinner between Donald Trump, Kanye West, Nick Fuentes, who if you don't know who that is, good, good. Your virgin ears are about to uh, be contaminated right now. And my Milo Yiannopoulos and a woman named Karen Giorno, who used to work on the Trump campaign. Um, again, Nick Fuentes, this is the big problem is Nick Fuentes because he is an open and avowed white nationalist. Um, I don't want to go into like how much shit he said, what he believes, um, but he's terrible. He's disgusting. He's a like raging misogynist. Um, and they all had a dinner and at this dinner, everyone had different goals, I guess. Um, but it seems like Kanye West was there to ask Donald Trump, if he would be his running mate in 2024. <laughs> That's right. Um, a source familiar with the dinner said the dinner grew heated after Ye, who announced another run for president in 2024 on Thursday, asked Trump to be his running mate. Trump then began insulting Ye's ex-wife, Kim Kardashian, according to the source, and a video that Ye posted to Twitter on Thanksgiving Day recounting the dinner. Um, why are, I just don't know why we're calling him Ye when his name is Kanye West, but I guess that's a made-up name too. I don't know. It's, it's fine. He's like he's like Cokey. Maybe that's why. Isn't that like yay, like a slang for cocaine? Oh yeah, yeah. The yayo. Yeah. Rush, rush, get the yayo. Okay, so this is that's what happened. Let me just play that video. This is Kanye West's announcement video for 2024, and also him recounting that he felt disrespected at this Thanksgiving dinner. I think the thing that Trump was most perturbed about, me asking him to be my vice president, I think that was like lower on the list of things that caught him off guard. It was the fact that I walked in with intelligence. So Trump is really impressed with Nick Fuentes. And Nick Fuentes, unlike so many of the lawyers and so many people that he was left with on his 2020 campaign, he's actually a loyalist. When he didn't know what the lawyers is, you'll still have your lawyer list. And when all the lawyers said, forget it, Trump's done, there were loyalists running up yep. in the White House, right? And my question would be, why, when you had the chance, did you not free the January Sixers? And I came to him as someone who loves Trump, and I said, go and get Corey back. Go and get these people that the media tried to cancel and told you to step away from. He basically gives me this would-be mob-esque kind of story talking to some kid from the south side of Chicago trying to sound mobby or whatever. He goes into the story about all that he went through to get Alice Johnson out of jail and how he didn't do it for Kim, but he did it for me. But then he goes on to say that Kim is a and you can tell her I said that. And I was thinking like, that's the mother of my children. 
Since we know and all the Christians in America that love Trump know that Trump is a conservative, we're going to demand that you hold all policies directly to the Bible. When Trump started basically screaming at me at the table telling me I was going to lose, I mean, has that ever worked for anyone in history? Tell me <laughs> You're going to lose. Tell him he's going to lose. lose. Tell I'm like, well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Trump. You're talking to Ye. So much to unpack. It's, I, I don't, I can't process it yet. Everything we just watched, I can't process it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for those listening, it, he, Kanye is with Milo Yiannopoulos. I know, I, he, I thought we, I thought the right canceled him when he was like, yeah, it's okay to have sex with minors. And they were like, e, but he's back. And, um, and so, and Kanye, then you have to know that the part that was bleeped out, like then he started calling my wife, a bleep 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 and you're like what is he says disgusting human which isn't a slur not nice but is not a cuss word which was very funny to me um and then there's like different images of like MAGA people January Sixers all in all Jenna that is what mental illness looks like more yeah. than anything else um and that's Milo with him, right? That is Milo and Yiannopoulos. Like the haircut, yeah. Exactly, just being like, oh yeah, just like a, his like a little yes man, yes man. And so here was Trump. So that was Kanye's uh, version of the dinner. Here's Trump's version of the dinner. He uh, tweeted or bleated, as John Iderola likes to say on Truth Social, yay, formerly known as Kanye West, was asking me for advice concerning his difficulties, in particular having to do with his business. So what was he like? Um, how can I do anti-Semitism and keep my Adidas deal? Maybe like what what was that conversation? We probably they probably were just being anti-Semitic together. We also discussed to a lesser extent politics, where I told him he should definitely not run for president. Any voters you may have should vote for Trump. Anyway, we got a, we got along great. He expressed no anti-Semitism, in case you were wondering, like I just was. Uh, I appreciated all the nice things he said about me on Tucker Carlson. Why wouldn't I agree to meet? Also, I don't know. I didn't know Nick Fuentes. <laughs> Jenna, so like, I just want you to know that like, I had a great Thanksgiving dinner and um, got together with Matt's family and it was really great. And like, no anti-Semitism was expressed at all. Anyway, <laughs> how are you? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just, it doesn't end. It's like, I, we just have to, we have to not give them oxygen, but it's, it's, I don't think it's possible at this point. I know it's funny because. I've been thinking about this incident and thinking about Kanye running for president. And I'm like, I think he could win. Um, but I do think that the fact that he is a black American and he's not like a Herschel Walker black American who is basically being essentially like marionetted into this whole thing and being told what to do and is effectively subservient to it. Like Kanye is a loose cannon, so the GOP would never get behind him, but he could definitely win. Um, he's as crazy as Trump is. I think if Kanye were white, the GOP would get behind him. Yes, that is a shorthand. Because Trump, yeah. I think, is more insane in a lot of ways than Kanye, or has proven to be, I think. Does Kanye's anti-Semitism disqualify or entice I think him? he's just doing it for attention. I think artists, especially at his level, know how to get attention. And, he, and, and that is the way to get attention 
and it has been since the since social the the dawn of social media the yes. what what i guess not rises to the top but sinks to the bottom is like the most like depraved deplorable content and anti-semitism's right up there so i right. think he's just doing it to get a rouse out of people rise out of people yeah a rise out know. of people well it's what's interesting is and this is you know i think he's doing it to get a rise out of people but i think he legitimately is convinced like like i think a lot of anti-semites are convinced that he's got some shit figured out about the jews like he straight up is and he does not consider at all the fact that he's in the entertainment industry and yes jewish people disproportionately make up a large portion of the entertainment industry for a lot of historic reasons for the reason that they were precluded from other industries exactly and because like of anti-semitism yes also wrote every christmas song imaginable so uh, <laughs> but there's so like he's putting the pieces together and he, then now he's associating himself with a bunch of just white nationalists who don't have any respect for the black community they they like their figureheads whose job it is to throw the entire black community under the bus like candace owens like kanye west but this is really funny because there's another guy again i'm glad if you don't know who this person is um his name is tim pool he's a podcaster youtuber whatever um has millions of subscribers um he basically is like a 13 year old a 40 year old in like a 13 year old's body um and kanye west and nick fuentes went on tim pool's show and kanye west was like there to do anti-semitism he was like me and my homie fuentes we're both open anti-semites let's go on tim pool let's spread the good gospel of uh how the jews run everything and watch tim pool kind of hedge on it and be like uh oh i don't anyway i still want some advertisers on my show or not ever we don't do that here necessarily and kanye um walks out on him take a look been extremely unfair to you i think who is they though we can't say they is can we press. i'm not using the I don't, I don't use the word as the as the way i guess you, you guys use i'm, I'm talking it is about them though isn't it i mean because <laughs> no. it, it, because when you think <laughs> about not. it consider it in 2018 what do you mean it's not it, what, what do I mean? Like, uh, uh, okay, so how about, are you leaving? Are you afraid of the press? He's gone. I'll say it right now. Um, you, guys, I, I, you guys want to bring that stuff up? And then think we're not going to have a, not gonna have like, a conversation? Like have the discussion. Like you, you think he's yeah, going to come in here and say, here's my pain, here's my suffering, I'm going to say, I hear you. And then he's going to say, and it was Jewish people, and I'm going to be like, okay, but don't you consider it? So I'm not going to do this. I, I refuse. Go, uh, that's exactly what happened because you're a fucking nobody, Tim Pool. And like mentally unstable anti-Semite Kanye West doesn't go on your stupid show to like beat around the bush. He's there to do anti-Semitism. <laughs> Why do you think he's fucking hanging out with you guys? He it's it's like it's time he's dying on this hill. You gonna die with him? Anyway, that was I mean, I hope he's dying on that hill. I don't know. I think uh I think even covering anti-Semitism, there's like a lot of naivete on everybody's end of just like people thinking that words don't lead into action and that people aren't as impressionable as they are when we've seen time and time again with racism, anti-Semitism, that words matter and they actually can kill. Yep. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's so scary right now. I mean, it's always been scary in different ways, but it feels weirdly scary because we can't 
because it's happening, it's hard to understand the forces at play. Yeah, I mean, it's like didn't Roger Stone set Kanye up to be in this situation that he's in, where he's kind of like this pundit of the right? Wasn't didn't Roger Stone have something to do with that? I mean, I I I don't doubt it. I don't know specifically. I know Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk basically tried to butter him up for a while. Um, you know, it, uh, Kanye West a, a, a while ago, and Candace Owens with, was with Kanye wearing his White Lives Matter shirt. You know. But, I mean, they're just people, they're just grifters who want attention. And this is how they're getting it. Because we're talking about it too, you know, and it's not you. It's just like, how do, how do people cover what's going on now without covering this? But that's really, I think, what it comes down to. I think these people have made careers out of shocking other people yes. and just sucking up all the oxygen in the room and it works for them. So why stop? So they're going to continue. And when it's not anti-Semitism, then it's like saying that the next uh, anti-Semitic attack wasn't anti-Semitism. And then it's saying like, maybe we should be attacking people. Like it's just, it's going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. And you just saw that, right? Like the Club Q reaction was the first time that after a mass shooting, the GOP, some right. of them have basically said, yeah, they deserved it. And uh, I think it's okay to kill people. Uh, and granted, they're not like, in elected office like jenna ellis isn't in elected office but marjorie taylor green is and paul gosar is these are people who also associate with people like nick fuentes um and are effective white nationalists so yeah it's getting worse and worse and it's i mean i'm just like waiting i don't know what we're waiting for right i don't know what we're waiting for maybe and of... maybe it's not getting worse because it always has been there it just history you know it goes in waves ebbs and flows and now it's just in the open again and we're seeing it so it's not worse than it was um at any other time in american history we're just seeing it in a certain way right now in fact it's better i would argue than it has been ever before because the majority of people I think when they're not being radicalized and brainwashed are pretty um, sensible and progressive, I yeah. would say. I mean, I'm reminded of a clip of a Trump supporter dressed in an all red Punisher outfit, which is like, okay, bro, do you? Yelling very mad at another Trump supporter who was dressed in a KKK hood. Like he was just an open clan member and the guy the punisher guy was like no see that's what gives us a bad name we're not like outwardly racist we're inwardly racist you know and it was very funny but look i'll take that divide i'll take punisher dude over an open clansman um mm -hmm. that we can maybe work with and, and even is it controversial to say an open clansman over someone who doesn't hide their face like i feel like trump supporters now it's like Oh, I miss when they covered their faces, when they were embarrassed about their yes. racism and bigotry. And now they're like out in the open, less like the tiki Nazis. That's true. I'll take exactly. a, I'll you take don't a need... Klansman over a tiki Nazi. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I mean, don't quote me. Well, I mean, I it's, the same, it's the same thing as like, I think all billionaires should be back in top hats. I've made this claim mm. on this show before so we can identify them. The fact that they're mm -hmm. wearing hoodies is in and of itself a problem. Mm -hmm. um but anyway we, let's move on because uh i want to play a little clip jenna's got a second season of her show indefensible it's a true crime show but not one that you would necessarily expect one that actually goes a little bit deeper and isn't hung up on all the salacious details and i want to ask jenna specifically why but let's just play um a little clip and you can explain it to me later 
We need to be doing more to address the conditions that are triggering violence. Mm -hmm. So we have data that says that economics motivate violence. And when you alleviate people's economic stress, they are less likely to be violent. Here's 50 bucks. Don't beat your wife today. Not exactly. I would say, here's a living wage. Let's see if that alleviates some of the stress on your family. Give a man a fish. Maybe he'll still beat the shit out of his wife. Teach a man to fish. Maybe a wave could come by. Maybe he falls off the boat, drowns. Wife and kids are safe. I am in no way advocating for killing people who abuse their partners. He fell. Indefensible, Thursdays at 10. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the show, um, it, I was given an opportunity to make a true crime show. I wanted to make something a little different than a true crime show because I'm kind of burnt out by true crime. I feel like it's a little problematic and exploitative and everybody's doing it. So our show uses true crime kind of as like a Trojan horse to bring in true crime watchers. And then we make the show more about the systemic uh, issues that enabled the injustice. For that particular episode, it was a very, very challenging episode because it's about criminalized survivors, meaning somebody who kills someone as a form of self-defense, but in court, it's not thought of as self-defense. Oftentimes it's a, it's a victim of, of ongoing domestic violence. Right. And oftentimes it's women who do get harsher sentences. Typically the, the data is murky, but like if a guy kills a woman and their domestic partners, like, you know, he'll oftentimes kill her by strangling her where if a woman kills a man, because she's just not as strong, it'll be premeditated. She might use a weapon and those things make your sentence longer when you're convicted. So this episode was about this topic that's really hard to talk about because what, like what, when someone kills someone, are they also a victim? And I think, you know, we're, we're getting a better understanding of better women's sy syndrome and, uh, and domestic violence and men are victims of domestic violence as well. And, but it's very murky because at the end of the day, it's like just between two people and you weren't there and you have no idea what happens until somebody ends up dead and they have a, there's a trial to convict them. So right. this is Lee Goodmark, who I'm talking to, and she is a lawyer who works specifically with criminalized survivors. And we were talking about like, you know, if the system doesn't see these people as victims, how do you help people who are in these types of situations before they end up on trial for, for murder? Um, and she was talking about domestic violence and, and, and her ideas, like, you know, there are studies that show, and, and, and there's uh, validity to this that, you know, um, increasing the minimum wage, giving people economic and like just uh, giving people universal basic income or increase or helping them economically actually decreases domestic violence. Right. That's only part of the story though. And I'm not a statistician. I'm just like a kind of like slightly a comedian, but debatable, debatable if you watch <laughs> me on people's um, podcasts oh. that are on YouTube. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I all, well, as she was telling me this, which was valid, I'm like, that's not Trump fucking choked Melania in the elevator, or did he? Like, a lot yes. of people, Corey Lewandowski punched some woman. Like, a lot, of, I mean, the, the yeah, list goes on rich people who, get away with domestic violence all the time. Yeah. And so it's not all economic. So that was just my light way of being like, I kind of am agreeing with you, but I'm kind of trolling you because that's not the whole story. Totally. That and it's a slippery. What that clip was. Thank you for explaining it. And because and it, it's a slippery slope to be like, you know, well, yeah, if we uh, 
like once we get a universal basic income and it's like, okay, slow, slow down. It's also an elitist argument to be like, economics is why people beat the shit out of their wives. Right. It's a really weirdly like um, uh, patronizing fucking attitude to be like, well, it's only the poor people who hit their wives. And you, as you just pointed out, that is not true. Um, That said, economic, if studies show that like giving people like better paying jobs and decreasing the economic burden on their families does decrease violence. Like I'm all for that too. You know what I mean? It's not, Yeah. you want to make sure that it's. Well, I think what you do with this show is also um, like go deeper than the salaciousness of like missing white girl syndrome. Right. And the idea of, and the sort of what people love about true crime, which I don't understand at all. I don't watch true crime. I don't listen to any true crime podcast. I don't, get get the fascination with murder either doing it or hearing about it um but for sure like your show is like oh no there's a reason because you're there's like another layer and what that layer is often just talking about femicide in a way that this country does not talk about femicide and i'm remembering and reminded of two things that just happened recently um, in your stand-up special, which everyone should watch on Peacock. You talk about Gabby Petito, who, if you guys remember, that young woman who was killed by her boyfriend. Um, they were like doing the van life thing, and a police officer stopped her and got a bunch of a, an interview with her on his body cam. That police officer actually turned out to himself be a domestic abuser. Um, I'm shocked. <laughs> Shocking. No, but there's that. And then just to this week, a cop, I believe from Virginia, catfished a a minor and then arrived at her house, killed her grandparents and her mom, burnt the house down and then tried to make away with her, like steal away with her. And then he got caught by the cops and other cops. Not his homies, I guess, but like and then was killed. I think she's okay, but oh, my God. The police are also perpetrating this. And I think a lot of true crime, I mean, I don't know, but it definitely feels like it generally sets up police as like the good guys, right? Um, yeah, like the propaganda. But you, but to your point about my joke. Yes. You're saying that it kind of called it. I had a joke about it. and then You I did. It true. You had a joke about it. You were talking about how police are often, the, I mean, yeah. you. How do you train law enforcement to recognize signs of domestic violence? Do you say, hey officer if you see a woman who looks at you the way your wife does arrest that man it's a joke but it's a joke but it's true and you even mentioned gabby petito before this news came out but like so what i guess what what stories are you looking for like what do you wanna how do you like kind of like lure people in and then flip the script on them so i mean it'll be interesting if we do the show again we had two, it's technically one season, season 1A and season 1B. I can't comment on that. But um, the <laughs> stories that I cared about were stories like um, certain defenses, like uh, the con- episode two of the series was on the consent defense, which is also called the rough sex defense. And they're defenses that are not that common, but that are used when like a typical example is like a guy kills a woman and his defense attorney says, oh, Uh, We were having sex and it got rough and I accidentally strangled her. Our story was about that. And Mm. those defenses are like outlawed, I think, in England, Ireland. I don't know about Scotland, but they're outlawed in most of the UK and they still exist in the US and they're bogus. I mean, people don't consent to die during sex. It's not a thing that happens. And um, 
So I wanted to cover that issue because, you know, if we if we care about this stuff, we can actually. Um, we I can can't believe that's a put pressure on our lawmakers to uh, to make sure that things like the consent defense don't happen in courtrooms in America. There's also the gay panic defense, which is a very um, controversial defense that has been outlawed in like 13 states. But that's that that defense is a defense attorney will say, oh, my client freaked out because this person was gay and killed them. And oftentimes those defenses will result in a reduced sentence for the uh, defendant. Mm. Um, so it's looking at things within the criminal legal system. Uh, junk science was one that we did in this batch of episodes. Um, we have these ideas from shows like Law and Order of like certain things like, oh, blood spatter or um, lie detector tests or bite mark analysis. We watch these shows and we think these things actually are real when in reality they're not. And um, the, the, I guess, barrier of entry for certain sciences to be passed up as forensic sciences in courtrooms mm -hmm. uh, is really low. And they, they're not, they don't have to be like, like DNA is really the only type of evidence in that regard that is like pretty accurate a lot of the other stuff isn't and yet defense attorneys uh, or prosecutors will use that evidence and it will sway juries and lead to um, miscarriages of justice. So the show is looking at different ways um, our criminal legal system uh, doesn't work and uh, we kind of each episode is like one case that touches on like a larger theme. Yeah, And the whole goal is for all of you who would ever be on a jury to understand just kind of how things work and how they don't work. And that somebody who might be an expert witness might actually be full of shit. Yeah. Who's just like an expert witness for hire. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fitting that Olayami is going to be my next guest because she's got a lot of experience with this as a public defender and all these BS excuses. Um, and and, it's on and both what sides. are real and what are real and what aren't real. Right. Yeah. yeah. And what she's I'm seen and what she hasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And like prosecutors do shady shit all the time. Defense attorneys do shady shit all the time. The one thing that I've learned, because I really didn't think about, you don't really think about the criminal legal system until you're in it, unless you're a prosecutor, a defense attorney, or a judge. Um, but the one thing that I really have learned is like the theatricality of, of a criminal, like of the criminal legal system, just the, the bells and whistles that both sides will pull out to make their case. And I just didn't realize like how it really is like theater for the jury. Like how many prop mm -hmm. comics there are. For real. I We've done a couple cases in Florida and one defense attorney was talking about using like VR, giving like the jury VR headsets to try to make his case. I mean, it's oh really, it's really crazy. Yeah. Well, you, you did VR in your other show, Soft Focus. Which I did made... do VR in Soft Focus. <laughs> It was a VR experience of whether of being sexually assaulted, and you used a uh, a hot dog and put it on a man's arm while he had a VR headset. And I think that's the best moment of television maybe ever. Thank you. We had vegetarian hot dogs for the vegetarians too. Um, <laughs> oh, you should still supposed to be a dick, y'all. Um, we will. That was one of my favorite segments I've ever done. That was that show was way more playful because we weren't talking to victims' families. No, but this, I think you ride a great line in this. And uh, everyone, go to Jenna's uh, Instagram to check out the clips if you need any excuse to then just bite the bullet and get AMC Plus or just watch it on AMC Plus, y'all. You can also on YouTube, all the episodes are there and you can watch them. 
but you gotta get AMC Plus. Uh, follow Jenna, Jenna Friedman uh, on Twitter, and then uh, for the last week of Twitter. <laughs> for the last week of Twitter, follow Jenna, and then also um, Jenna Friedman on Instagram. Just double checking that is your Instagram. Um, and any any last things, Jenna? I, I it's wish really nice to see you. What? It's good to see you. We'll talk again. We we talk often and we have private bitch sessions if you didn't figure They're that the out. They're the same. The private bitch sessions are exactly maybe I have more makeup for those, but um they're exactly <laughs> and thank you for whoever complimented my microphone. I can't I don't I'm not you know, I'm not sleeping, so I'm just all over the place. But um yeah, that's all. You guys just got a window into our private bitch sessions on this public one. Indeed. It is uh Oh my god, you're doing the face. Shit is no good. I'm doing the face of the show. Oh my god, I'm a mom. Why? <laughs> Jenna Why? Freeman, we love you. Everyone check out her show and also check out um her stand-up special Lady Killer on Peacock. So fucking funny, so good. Um I'm sorry to see her go, but just sort of sliding in, um I hope to bring in Public Defender at the Legal Aid Society, political commentator, writer, and abolitionist thinker, um, Olayami Olurin. How are you? Good. I'm good. Happy to be here. Thank you for being here. I'm sure you caught a little bit of that discussion with Jenna, but yeah. like in terms of like these, these weird defenses that often prop up like uh, honestly femicide, like domestic violence and femicide, and then are perpetrated and doubled down on by the state, by the cops too. I find that really interesting. Um, I don't know, any any thoughts about on that and like things like that consent defense and, and other bullshit that ends up like protecting abusers? I think, um, yes, I mean, Here's the here's the reality is like in general, I'm not a person who cares for true crime or, or these kinds of things because they're just not representative of the legal system in general. They make us think about right. things that you're just not going to see very often. Like if you've represented a thousand people in the system, you're, you're, chances are you don't see anything like that. What you see is mostly crimes of poverty. Over 80 percent of things that are in the criminal system are misdemeanors, nonviolent crime, traffic offenses. So for me, it just isn't really representative of the whole. Most things just never see a trial, never see a hearing. You never get to any defenses of any kind that that's why we have right. the pre-trial system we have. We usually railroad things, unfortunately, where people are just being arrested for general crimes of property and forced to plea out before it ever takes right. it there. Right. The, 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 the stuff that doesn't make it to television. Yes, <laughs> stuff exactly. That's never going to get sold. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it's it's and I think that often plays into the narrative and the idea that there is more violent crime than there actually is right? or that exactly. there is more crime generally, because that's the stuff that's making headlines. That's what we're hearing about. It's funny because you're in New York, correct? Yep. Um, so I remember I visited, you know, in March of last year and like I get, you know, when you get in the cab and like you, you the the fucking whatever the television is just like blaring at you. The little screen is telling yeah. you and it's just like. In the span of half an hour, it was like the most absurd crimes that it like it just happened. It was like, um, like man runs into bodega with monkey and also then slits someone's throat. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? It was like it just was like this advertisement for like New York is full of crime, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Dog whistling. And yeah. And I think that played into the midterms narrative as well. A lot of people were like, well, people are worried about crime. And yet yeah. we didn't really see that play out. 
Yeah, it absolutely it absolutely did play into the narrative. So there there are several things, right? Whenever you look at places, they they like to highlight on places like New York City, Chicago, places where the criminal systems have been completely made around incarcerating and policing black and brown people. And then they they highlight those and make it out to be Gotham City all the time. And what I find fascinating, right, is one, New York City is a place with almost 10 million people, like 10 million people in the city, 42% of which identify as purely white. And yet Rikers, a pretrial detention center is made up of 90% black or brown people, right? So it's not lost upon me exactly what kind of system we have there. And then also with the kind of fear mongering you see around crime, bail reform, all these things, people wouldn't realize that one, these Republican, these red areas, these rural areas have way more crime per capita. One, people don't realize that. Or two, they do hysterics around bail reform in a place like New York City. They do it in a place like Chicago, but in New Jersey right there, Governor Christie could get it off. A Republican governor can completely abolish the cash bail system in 2014 without a peep. And so- Right. And I, what I always find interesting is even if you pretend like New York City is Gotham City, like they try to make us out to be with the constant crime hysteria and fear mongering about crime, New York spends more money on policing than anywhere else. So what is the mm-hmm. argument? Right. And that's why it's it's a system to line one's own pockets. It's not a coincidence that our mayor, a cop, Eric Adams, spends all his time constantly fear mongering about crime, which you would think would be absurd when you think of it like, well, your administration, it's your party that's in power. You're harming your own administration. You see what happened with Hochul and Zeldin being as close as they were and how New York uh, fared, right, and how New York fared um, because of these things. And it wouldn't make sense unless you understand that that's how they increase these budgets, right? New York, the NYPD gets over $10.4 billion in, in spending. And even though Eric Adams made cuts to everything this year, he gave them $90 million more. And while they cut people, they, they fired from the schools, they fired from all these different programs, they cut the parks, they cut funding on every single thing. Um, they still hired, what, 1,000 more cops in the subways, more cops, more money to Rikers and all these different things. So there's a concerted effort and it does harm us. Like people said, Lee Zeldin was able to just use Eric Adams, just invoke Eric Adams on the campaign trail. And then you see that from the Post, you see it from the New York Times. And then once midterms are over, you see what you got yesterday with New York Times being like, hey, actually turns out the media played a large role in stoking crime and this crime wave as they look around at everybody but themselves. But there was actually none of this, you know, true crime. It's just people feeling afraid. And it's like, oh, I wonder who did that. Yes. I mean, I think we can blame Jenna um, and her show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think uh, all the true crime pro- podcasts out there. Uh, no, obviously I'm joking. But but yeah, that's especially with New York is just fascinating. And, and these cities which, yes, are run by Democrats often. But again, it's just the it's just p- power. It's parties yeah. in power. And I think you saw that with, as you mentioned, the ways that Republicans made gains in New York, the ways New York Democrats dropped the ball um, yeah. as far as keeping Congress, um, because they it's not about actual policies. It's about power. Yeah. And one thing that police do, in my opinion, and you've seen this in your the cases that you work in the life experience you have. But but like, honestly, what cops do is enforce the economic economic like disparity they enforce they enforce the color line they enforce racism they enforce poverty they are there to protect property they are there to protect that 42 percent of white people they're there to protect the gentrifiers and they're not there to protect everybody um and we see that time and time again and then and they are also there to kind of clean up when democratic mayors 
fuck up or any mayor, right? It's yeah. like, oh, you didn't build enough affordable housing. Just sweep up the homeless. Right, just like so Eric Adams know, is currently doing. He literally just announced this morning that they are going to be involuntary committing committing homeless people to to um involuntary literally involuntarily committing them in in the in the hospital. It's it's absurd the level of draconian abuse um that just happens in plain sight. Right. No, I, I mean, Eric Adams was like the worst. At least I feel I feel a lot yeah. better over here in LA that we didn't get a Rick Caruso billionaire yeah. mayor. Um, yeah, y'all got blessed. You know, yeah, seriously. <laughs> ooh. Um, but I did want to ask because in this narrative, a lot of folks have, there is this mirage of crime, which mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily exist. And then at the same time, we're on the other side of one of the biggest mass movements of our lifetimes, right? Yeah. The Black Lives Matter movement of 2020 in the wake of George Floyd's murder. And so, and yet what's changed, right? Like what's changed on a, on a special, specifically on a federal policy level? Not a lot. We can't get even the most basic reforms and no one's saying the word defund and no one's saying abolition, but the most basic reforms passed Maybe just your reflections on that. Like, what happens? Like, what 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 does that actually do? Has that energy mm -hmm. gone elsewhere? Can we celebrate some of the small local victories in yeah. terms of um, reform? So, I think I understand how people have a tendency to feel discouraged, but I think you only feel discouraged discouraged if you make the mistake of looking at this movement as starting in 2020 when it when it didn't. Everything that's happening, there are no new pains. Everything that's happening has been happening. Right? These have been the same, the same communities, the same neighborhoods that have been being policed, have been being profiled, have been being incarcerated, have been experiencing police brutality, have been doing that since policing's inception in this country. So that's not new. Police shoot and kill over a thousand people each year. That has nothing to do with the lesser level of brutality. That's not the people that they kill in other ways. That's not the deaths that they cover up, right? So that is just something that is our constant and if you see it as like oh 2020 was our first like oh this major wave and then nothing yeah. happened and you're you know what i mean in your mind you're gonna see it like that but if you understand and recognize even the broader picture how long something's happened even the fact that the ideas you're espousing now the fact we're, we're casually discussing abolition it's even something to fight about the fact that these people are so threatened by defund the police that they need to fight you on it because at the end of the day if something's not effective people ignore it if it if it can't pick up traction if it mm. if it if it's that they would they would leave it alone but the fact that they constantly feel the need to beat us down on it and talk about it and try to discourage people as much as possible if a movement had lost steam if a movement was so ineffective they wouldn't talk about it that's just period yeah. point blank done so the fact that there's this constant effort to to quell support or convince people that um what they're doing is worth is not worthwhile tells me that it is so that's my my one there and the two is like you can't see you can't only see your gains, right? In a movement where what you're trying to do is keep people alive, right? Like if you even just look at police brutality, if what I'm trying to do is actually address the system um, that makes that possible, not just, I think the problem is people assume everybody is their ally because they're at a protest and they're outraged about the video they saw. They're outraged about what happened with George Floyd. But if you're still in a society that has fundamentally educated you to believe that this criminal system is synonymous with justice, that this mm. system is still in the business of accomplishing justice, even when you see incidents like this, you treat, you think the system made a mistake. You think it's an outlier. You think, you know, ultimately the system is still here to do that. And you don't actually oppose the system or the different things that made that scenario possible. 
possible. You oppose that outcome. So then people don't realize that they process it as we should all be on the same side. Why isn't everybody, why is this still happening? And it's because all of those people are still fundamentally invested in the system because we're all being yes. educated and indoctrinated with that. So to me, it requires a larger like you have to step back and say, hey, let's start talking about the system at whole. Let's talk about where the police are, why the police are even in these positions to be harassed in a George Floyd. Why are the police responding to a Tamir Rice? Why are the police, you know, being the ones um, for these mental health checks? It, ha it requires us to do that. So I don't look at it as um, discouraging because quite frankly, we've looked from a time people like me or anybody is perceived as a black advocate or a black activist, or you're talking about abolition and stuff, you could not do it in mainstream America. It, you know what I mean? It's a dangerous affair, not like, oh, so the fact that you even can present these, you can fight about bail reform. You're doing a lot. And I think too, yes, you got to remember and that there's hundreds of thousands of people you've kept out of jail, you know, when you pass these yeah. modest bail reforms, but you can't see the lives that did it. You know what I mean? The tragedies you've prevented. Sure. You only hear about the one, like the one person who went on and recommitted a, cr a crime. You don't hear about the like, yeah, hundreds yeah. of thousands of people who were able to be with their families or were able to provide or were able to like keep their employment because they were able they didn't have um, yeah. un unattainable bail in order to be free. Um, I think that's a really good point to take the long view. And it's also a massive, massive undertaking. It's not the criminal justice system is a massive system. I mean, two million people in or out of prison or jail, right? Or, or yeah. uh, on, on parole. Like this is, it is huge. One of, again, the biggest prison population next to Iran and yeah. China, I believe, or maybe even more than China. So, uh, you know, it's funny, we're going up against uh, Iran in the World Cup now, but uh, we have a lot of things in common, in fact, our countries, um, which is lock up uh, a huge segment of the population. I did want to ask you, like, what about you? What was your journey to prison abolition or to like calling yourself an abolition or abolitionist or talking about these issues um was it when you started like like in law school or yeah. or what was that for you so how i decided to become a, a public defender in general was in college i was writing my thesis called colored bodies matter our relationship between bodies and power and my thesis advisor a white woman dr kathleen sullivan whom i love uh called me a gap scholar but in an affectionate way but it's a term in academia to me and someone who points out the problems but they don't necessarily have a solution um which is something that's necessary oh. and is very necessary in academia like they're not but I remember thinking it's insufficient for me to, as a black person to go become a black attorney and in a criminal system where my people are so disproportionately, you know, profiled, incarcerated and represented in that way. But we make up less five, than five percent of the legal um, their actual legal profession. I felt like it was woefully insufficient for me to not do that. So that's how I became a public defender. But as mm -hmm. far as abolition, my thesis advisor, because everything that I was always espousing, she goes, sound like you would like abolition i was like what you mean abolish all all, all jails like all like, <laughs> you know and that was as somebody who's literally academically knows believes devoutly that this criminal system is racist and all of this but still when i heard abolition i was like you know then she gave me she gave me our prisons obsolete by angela davis and i you know just yeah. even realizing hey it wasn't always like this like prisons this prison system even though you're you're raised to believe it's like water and air and all that. it's a man-made institution this massive prison industrial complex we did not always have this this is not the norm you co i come from a country where we do not 
police and incarcerate a significant uh, amount of our population, especially based on class and race and all these different kinds of things. And I didn't become an abolitionist overnight, but eventually, and that's kind of to me how I know never to get frustrated in this work, because I can't think of somebody more dogmatic <laughs> and stubborn than my own self. And the fact that I, you know, over time, you hear something enough because you re you come to change your worldview, but it's not overnight. And I think sometimes we make the mistake of assuming, like people will DM me and say, hey, I'm gonna go debate with my mom or my cousin that's a Republican or something. What what thing can I, you know, what thing can I tell them that'll make them really get nothing? You are not going to tell any, there's nothing you're going to tell any person yeah. that is gonna make them just completely relinquish their entire worldview. You know what I mean? Sure. You could start some cracks in the foundation and it'll erode over time, but it's over time. People love cops. I mean, juries love cops. People love cops. They they buy into a lot of like the propaganda that is just so seamlessly infused into our culture. Um, and, you know, I mean, you see Black Lives Matter signs on the same, you know, lawns as you'll see Rick Caruso signs. And you're like, in what fucking world do you think a billionaire who's like going to get tough on homelessness isn't just going to unleash more cops to crack people's skulls? Like, I don't right. understand your worldview and it and it is very much a bipartisan doesn't matter if you're a liberal conservative it's money very much yeah. related to money and in yeah. my opinion very much related to your own personal experiences with law enforcement do yeah. you feel safe even calling cops is your community policed or not is your yeah. community over policed right yeah. um has a cop ever arrested your family member do you have family in jail currently or in prison currently and these are all questions things that disproportionately white people will say, no, I don't have any family members right. and I don't see a lot of police in my neighborhood and I don't feel like I'm in a, the occupied West Bank, you know, over here. Right, right, yeah. Um, which is why it's easy to talk and it's easy to be like, defund the police is bad, but it's very different when you live it. And for me, my experience was, you know, coming up in like in New York in 2000, early 2000s, anti-war activist, global justice activist, and then having friends who were involved in prison abolition work through the organization Critical Resistance, you know, lots of love for them. And and I was like, abolish, what, uh, completely abolish this. That seems, okay, I'm not quite, like, I'm not quite there. I'm still friends with you guys and we'll, we'll hang. But like, I wasn't quite there. And over time and yes, and learning about it and also understanding that that is not my lived experience, but I cannot graft my subjective experience onto what is effectively a systemic, objectively systemic failed system, right? A yeah. racist system yeah. that I have not borne the brunt of. And so under putting myself there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to um, me, it, 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 there are certain commonsensical principles that I think, you know, get us there eventually. And it's, first of all, we know that the safest communities are not the most police communities. That's just the truth. The safest communities are the most resource communities. All of the, the communities with the highest police presence are the, the communities that they deem high crime areas. And they continue to be the high crime areas, the most under-resourced, the most impoverished communities generation after generation. So this is obviously just not what it does. And the second thing is America puts more money. America puts over $277 billion into policing each, each year. America puts more money into policing and mass incarceration than anywhere else. And I don't know another country that constantly sensationalized and fear mongers its own population in the way that America does. It's the reason why 
So many people, the people that constantly talk to you about feeling afraid are the same people telling you that all this crime and danger isn't in their communities. They will say, oh, it's only in the black areas. It's into this. So then what are you afraid of? Why do the police need to be in your neighborhood? You're not the ones who've experienced crime. It's not a mistake right. or it's not a coincidence that the actual survivors of crime, the actual people in these communities that experience it are the ones that are advocates of criminal justice reform are the ones that are telling you, hey, no, this is actually what we need. Instead of putting money into policing us and incarcerating us, put money into our housing, put money into our education, put money into our healthcare, put money into our infrastructure so that we can actually alleviate the root causes of crime because this doesn't do anything and we don't feel safe. And they know that. So for me, it it, it comes it comes to be what is the obvious sensible conclusion because at the end of the day, as much as people criticize, you know, abolition or criminal justice reform or any kind of alternative method to policing, they've never done it. You've never tried it. So according to you, the only thing we do is policing and mass incarceration and it's failing according to you, it's proponents, yep. you know? One thing I like to think about and it's similar to that is, um, and, and just a parallel I like to draw in my mind is, is around climate change, right? Yeah. There's a movement called to keep it in the ground, right? And it's led by, uh, you know, uh, indigenous folks um, around the world who are like, just keep it in the ground. Stop exploiting oil. Stop extracting. Just stop whole cloth. Now, to some folks, that seems really extreme. Obviously, yeah. to this administration, they're like, no, 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 we've got to dig a lot more so that eventually we'll get renewables. You know, like we got, but right now we got a war in yeah. Russia. Let's dig, 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 you know, drill, drill, drill. Um, yes, Saudi Arabia, please give us more oil. And, but I think it, it is not, I think that's a goal. You have to have a vision and you have to have a goal. And like you're saying, your, you know, your thesis, um, um, Sorry, the, your professor. Who's who oversees Dr. Dr. Sullivan, my thesis advisor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Advisor. Your thesis advisor being like, okay, well, how do we get there? And I think that you can't necessarily you can't necessarily take these steps without having like a where are we going? Yeah. You know, and I think where we're going when it comes to climate is yeah, keeping the fossil fuels that are in the earth in the earth because we know they're going to kill us. And yeah. where we're going on prisons is abolishing them. But in my mind, yes, a remaking, a revisioning, a re-envisioning, but this system needs to go. And yeah. this system has proven itself. And same with the healthcare system. Yeah. I believe in Medicare for all. I don't believe in reform because I don't believe Kaiser, fucking Blue Shield, and these private insurance companies give a shit about reform. They don't want to yeah. reform. You right. cannot reform this system. You have to abolish the private healthcare system. Yeah. You have to abolish the prison system, in my in my view. So yeah. these are the visions. And so I, I equate those. I don't, and I, I think folks somehow are more allergic to that idea when it comes to criminal justice or the, you know, the legal system than they are to when they talk about the climate or when they talk about healthcare, you know? Mm -hmm. But these are all systems that are broken. So we need to see them, you know, similarly. Absolutely. Absolutely. We do. <laughs> anyway, um, anything else? I mean, we could talk a lot about for a while about this, but I guess, are there shining examples for you? I'm thinking of West Hollywood, which is funny. And we talked about it on this show because OJ Simpson of all people was like, West Hollywood's defunding the police and that is wrong. But West Hollywood basically moved. I believe they took out two sheriffs and, and, use that money to employ, I think, 10 mental health workers. 
in in that neighborhood um which is huge and like yeah i'm like oh how did two sheriff salaries pay for 10 people yeah, yeah because we overpay these cops <laughs> yeah yeah the cops make more than the public defender correct the the literally just the court staff the, the court officers make more than the public defenders and that is also not an accident right like the underfunding the the think about it like this we have a criminal system. Public defenders are the only constitutionally mandated attorneys, right? That poor people need to be represented by somebody. And the vast majority of everyone in our criminal system is represented by a public defender. So that tells you something about the exact population we're policing. Because to be rep to qualify for my services, you have to be beneath the poverty line. And that's virtually everybody in court. And then if you take those attorneys that have to represent the bulk of everyone in the system and you pay them less than everybody, what kind of representation do those people get? You know what I mean? What what, what are they able yeah. to do? And that keeps the system turning in this way. It's why everything has to be played out. It's why everything, you know, people sit in jail. They they stack it in this way on purpose. One And one thing I think people need to also remember is we talk about private prisons and, and you might know the stats specifically, but yes, private prisons are awful. No one should be making money off of, you know, someone who's incarcerated. And especially when you look at the immigration detention systems, that is, you know, it's disproportionately high. But in terms of like overall, like it, it's a small percentage of the Private number of prisons and jails. Private prison is is exactly uh, what I referenced earlier when I said the problem with teaching us that the system is ultimately just. And so when we get things, we can focus on the other thing. People, the private prisons argument was raised as something to be able to distract you from the rest of the prisons being bad it's so that you can maintain this idea oh we need it all the problem is these private prisons the private the problem is that we have these for-profit systems public and private prisons produce public and private prisons in america overall produce over 11.6 billion dollars in goods for america just period, $11.6 billion because public and private. Rikers is a pretrial detention center. People have not been incarcerated and have not been convicted of a crime. And yet all those people were forced to make all the sand, hand sanitizers that we got in New York City and couldn't get it. We're not allowed to use it themselves, couldn't socially distance, but that's who make it. In America, there's a reason why I say we have to start calling things, but they are not using these euphemisms that are intentionally meant to, to play it down. Instead of saying, oh, you know, mass incarceration is a new slavery. It's just slavery. If slavery mm. is a system by which we take, we take people, we strip them of their freedom and their civil liberties, and we make them work for another person's labor, uh, another person's financial gain against their own control, that's what we're doing. We've taken, America incarcerates 2 million people, 400,000 of which are being held pre-trial. America makes up 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's incarcerated population. The average yeah. state pays incarcerated people between 13, I want to say between 13 and maybe 50 cents um, for all labor, but seven states don't pay them anything altogether, completely drop the pretense. And then these people are also stripped of their, their right to vote in most places. And then after that, in terms of fines and fees, because people say, oh, they did the crime, they did the time, and they don't realize that all these people, which we've already recognized, are poor people. They're, they're living beneath the poverty line, are not just being incarcerated, but they're being charged fines and fees. The same court that recognizes that they have no money, that's why they have a public defender, they have no, it's the same court that's going to set bail on them after just acknowledging they have no money, and then hit them with all kinds of fines and fees for the, uh, for the criminal conviction that they're going to force them to have to take, because otherwise they're going to have to sit in pretrial detention for umpteen, for however long, you know, so it, it is it is deliberately, deliberately set up to like that because it is slavery. That's that's what it is. Right. Absolutely. You also there's the new Jim Crow that you kind of reference, although you're you're arguing it is just Jim Crow. Yeah. Um, and uh, and also um, 
sorry, Angela Davis's book that I'm now blanking on. Our prison's um, obsolete. Our prison's obsolete. Thank you. And also, everyone, you know, just watch The Wire if you don't understand how any of this works. Just fucking watch the show The Wire. But, but you know, we've got a comment and I just, you know, because we maybe didn't finish the envisioning, but Hal Wasserman on YouTube says, I still don't understand what the alternative to prison is. Mm-hmm. For you, what does that look like? And have, are we there even yet at the at that stage of thinking of that. So, so abolition is a, is a vision of tomorrow, right? Like we are aware that they're not going to go and close all the courts and shut all the jails down and open all the cells tomorrow. But it's this idea that instead of continuing to invest in mass incarceration, we need to take that money that we've put into policing, that we put into prisons and instead give it to these under-resourced communities to actually alleviate the issues and the social ills that they are struggling with. Because the reality is as much as people would like to pretend it's something else and pretend it's just, all these bad people, all the poor people are just bad. It's not true. All right. The majority of everything in our criminal system are crimes of poverty. So instead of making the policy decision to continue criminalizing these people, instead, let's actually alleviate their like the, the needs for this. And eventually we will do away with the, the need for prisons because the reality is lots of places. America, America is not America's mass incarceration is not normal. It's not the usual thing that everybody lives in. You know, I'm, I'm from a country where we do not, most, the, the average black man between 18 and 29 years old in America will have experienced being arrested or incarcerated at some point in time. That's crazy. That is absolutely wow. crazy. And that is not a normal thing for other places, other places, right? Or even when you look at um, California, California had maybe, maybe nine prisons for like a hundred years. And then suddenly they made an executive decision at the, you know, get Nixon, get Reagan, get these people, boom, hundreds yep. of prison construction, you know? So that's what happens. They create these structures. And they fill them, but they're policy choices, right? We didn't always incarcerate for these things. We always, we didn't always do it this way, but we're choosing to do it because that is a system that we're maintaining. So it's about divesting from it and modeling other methods. There are countries, there are lots of countries that choose actively make a policy choice to have prisons be rehabilitative. And that's often people will point to places like Denmark and all of this, but what's also important to note there is they have white population, you know what I mean? In places where there is a white There's the congruity of that white population. Yeah, I'm gonna give you a certain kind of care, but on in our criminal system where we we police particular populations, we opt to have a system that we know is strife with abuse and strife with struggle. Yeah. So we just model the rest of the world that is not following this barbaric system. Totally, totally, and and it and it is part and parcel of our unique history, um, you know, of slavery, and exactly. and the, the, this is the we are living, we are descendants of that original like f- crime that yes. still has not been um rectified exactly. and so and so here we are again still but i think that basically and similarly like it is divestment it is defunding it is moving money out of it that just shit just doesn't fit on like a like little slogan you know and i think um it is important to know that these conversations they're not made for cnn necessarily but the beginnings yeah. of them can be and i think that's yeah. what is really great and yeah. and the moving of the money and and yeah and if we stop if if we if we actually invest in communities if we actually don't further criminalize poverty like let's just try moving money in different places right. and see what happens just as a joke just as right. like a little gag right. like a little right. a little gag let's do it for 5 years and if it's still good, we'll do it for 10. And then if right. at, after 10, it's all bad, we'll be like, you know what? Let's go back to incarcerating everybody, over-policing, my bad. You know, uh, fucking George Zimmerman and Kyle Rittenhouse can, you know, 
we'll hold them up as deities uh, and right. you y'all win you know what i mean other people win but let's just try right. just give us five years give us yeah. 10 years I have a piece coming out soon in like a week or two uh, for Teen Vogue about this called Mass Incarceration is Insane. Um, and it's basically just like, that's because it is, right? They're like, and if insanity is doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting, you know, different results, that's what this is for us to constantly, you know, it's interesting. Whenever you want to, what you want to do is something new from the method they are insisting, according to its proponents, is failing, right? If crime is apparently so hysterical, but we continue to put more money and expand this system. Whenever, you know, you want to do something else, here is all the hysteria, but yet you have no problem continuing to mass incarcerate entire populations in specific communities, despite the fact that it's done nothing to alleviate the conditions of those communities or the crime that those communities are the ones that you say experience it. Because again, white people and all these people that are the leaders of, of mass incarceration, its biggest cheerleaders are the main people telling you they have no, they have no actual skin in the game. They have no lived experiences with it. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Yes. And that's exactly what we're doing on all of these fronts. But Olayami, I appreciate your your clarity, your lucidity, your ability to sort of like cut through and, and kind of like go into the fray in a lot of ways. It's a lot of work that you already are doing as your job, but this is like a whole other, a whole other, you know, and, and the fact that like, you, you know, being on the breakfast club, which you were like the fact that you're on those shows is progress and is, and is cool and it as is. hell, you know? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? And if it breaks through a little bit, if even if a seed is planted, yes. then that's good. Yes. Thank you so um, much thank for having you me. So much. Everybody follow uh, uh, Olayami on, on, well, on Twitter, but also on Instagram. Yes. Um, Miss Solurin, am I pronouncing your last name right? Yes, you are. And my Substack okay. Alurinati, I publish an essay every month. I've got to go, when I'm <laughs> yeah. when I get off of here, I have to start writing the one that I need to I need to have written and published by like Alurinati. Oh my god, I thought Francisco right? was good, but Alurinati. I, <laughs> I know that fire, right? I love it. <laughs> Thank you I need so like much. a jacket with that. Thank you so much. Take very good care. Please come back. Um, thank you all for being here. Uh, we have. One more segment, because um, I I'm not just bitching about nursing. I'm bitching about the World Cup, and I want to talk about it a little bit with me, myself, and I. Um, but there's another segment after this for the Frantifa, uh, talking about China, what's going on. Let's get into it a little bit. Patreon.com/slash/bituationroom. Get access to that. Um, there's protests. What does that mean? Is anything changing? I don't know. Um, but for now, I'm curious. How did the USA-Iran game go? I'm assuming, here's what I want to say. I want to say it's it held at 1-0. Yep, 1-0. I was right. They were looking like crap in the second half. It was just everyone was looking not great. But um, if, uh, if diplomacy were decided uh, by penalties, <laughs> no, by soccer or football, um, what would that look like? This is my diplomacy cup. Brief little digression before I get into what I think. But meanwhile, you guys think about it. If certain countries face other countries, what would the prize be should they win? Do you know what I'm saying? Is it reparations? Do they have to eat their other country's national food for a month? What do they do? Um, 
but a little digression, you know, the, the World Cup's being held in Qatar, and I talked about this a bit last week, um, and I'm seeing two things simultaneously. I think, you know, one is it's pretty dope that it's being held in the Middle East for the for first time, the World Cup. Obviously, um, the Middle East is, like, hugely popular in terms – I mean, soccer's so big there. Um, and uh, also, you have a major contradiction, right? You have – huge crackdowns on freedom of speech in terms of people with rainbow flags or armbands that express solidarity with the LGBTQ plus community, um, journalists who want to film things. There is a total information crackdown happening in Qatar right now. And then at the same time, you have all these like Palestine freedom flags, right? And there's people who are like advocating for Palestinian human rights. There's like Israeli, um, um, television crews trying to like catch other like catch people like what do you think about Israel and like trying to get folks in like a like to do anti-semitism I guess or like to be anti-Israel and they're just seeing a lot of solidarity for Palestine instead and it's great and so it, it's I think it's really interesting because you're like usually you might see more support for the LGBTQ plus community and a silencing of Palestinians. Here, you're seeing the opposite. Um, and I think two things can be true at once, right? We can support the fact that it's awesome that the World Cup is being held in the Middle East for the first time. It's cool that like Saudi Arabia, for example, beat Argentina, even though I got pissed at that. Um, it's cool to see uh, Iran, you know, and I have a thought on that, but it's it's cool to it, it's important and awesome to have this like international, true international competition over a sport. The shit ain't over nukes; it's over a fucking sport. I love that. Um, and two things can be true: you can have a first time in history cup in the Middle East, and have a lot of fucking problems with that country as being homophobic having all these draconian anti-gay laws, and then kind of being cooler on Palestine. Those things can exist and we can point them out without being either um, patronizing or uh, like, for lack of a better term, imperialist or, uh, you know, sort of Western centric in our, in our understanding of it. We can be progressively lifting up all of those voices that are marginalized. And I think the one struggle that encapsulates how we can hold two or three or five things at once when it comes to human rights is the struggle for human rights in Iran. And I think the fact that that shit does not come from the United States, that shit does not come from any imperial Western power, it does not come from, of course, not the Ayatollah, it comes from the people. It comes from the people of Iran and the women of Iran who are rising up and in solidarity, the Iranian national team is refusing to sing the anthem. In solidarity, um, you have people uh, like my man, I don't know his name, but taking the field during, I believe, the Uruguay, the Uruguay uh, Portugal game, running around with a shirt that says respect for Iranian woman, women, and he's got a rainbow flag, which the rainbow flag, by the way, in other countries, in Europe especially, um, is a flag of peace. So here it's LGBTQ plus rights. Over there it's peace, whichever it is. I love it. And so I think no greater struggle can unite us and simmer the bullshit narratives down of your country's this, your country's that, 
the Middle East is backwards. The Middle East is not backwards. Da 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 da. Fuck it. Support Iranian women. You know, still carrying the torch for uh, the heinous murder of Masa Amini, and um, understanding that we can support human rights, um, and it doesn't have to play into anyone's narrative. It just is human rights. It doesn't have to play into an anti-Islam agenda. It doesn't have to play into a pro-Western agenda. It just is. It's just people trying to fucking live their goddamn lives. And uh, yeah, I hope y'all listened to the episode we did with Zara Nurbash, who was wonderful. And she's an Iranian-American comedian and had a lot of thoughts on hijab, et cetera. So that's, the, that's just the thing I wanted to mention um, off the bat. But I think, okay, here's my lineups. France v. Senegal. Senegal gets to, if they win, gets to restructure France's economy because Senegal's economy has been restructured a million times. Uh, And restructured always means like, "Mm, you're going to have to give less to people and more to corporations. So France's economy is restructured by Senegal and Senegal gets French wine for a dollar a bottle. Settled. Australia versus England, if that ever happens. Um, Australia finally gets rid of the monarchy. Just it's enough. No more. We don't pledge allegiance to the king or whatever. Um, It's done. We're done so. That being said, if England wins against Australia, King Charles's face has to go on the flag. You can find a place for it. You could like hide it in the like one, like in one of the star or the stripes over there. You know how it's like the Union Jack in a larger. I don't. The Australian flag looks like one flag is like fucking another flag. Like I don't get what's happening there. But you got to put King Charles's face on it. If England wins Brazil v. Portugal, obviously there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, reparations for colonialism that has to happen. There could be bigger reparations here. um, Maybe reparations for slavery if Portugal loses, but if Portugal loses, here's what I think. I think that it has to change the name of its capital Lisbon to Liz Brazil. Is that anyway, just maybe just for like a, a year. Oh, Liz Brazil. USA versus Japan. If Japan wins, uh, they get to drop an atomic bomb on Mar-a-Lago. Yes, there will be repercussions. It'll probably extend, you know, A-bombs. You can't really control what they're going to do, but it's the least we can do or they can do uh, after we dropped a couple of nukes on them. Uh, And look, if they win, if they beat the United States, I think it's only fair. Uh, Holland versus Senegal. Holland actually did was one of the many countries that also colonized Senegal. Um, If Holland loses, they have to finally stop doing Sinterklaas, which is the black Santa that's like really problematic and weird. No more Sinterklaas, Dutch, okay? Stop it, it's weird. It's fucking weird. And obviously USA versus Mexico, if Mexico wins, open borders, but for like a month. Maybe a week. Open borders for a week. Free flow of goods. Free flow of people. Um, Just anyone and anything comes and goes. But a one week, it's like the purge, but open borders. 
I mean, obviously, if you're a Republican watching, you already think there are open borders, but there aren't. So um, curious to know your thoughts. Um, if Japan wins, Michael Gonzalez says, uh, just replace McDonald's with ramen houses. I would love that. Oh, my God. Mick Ramen. Todd Roy says, no more wooden shoes if the Dutch wins, if, if the Dutch lose. Uh, Galfar 71, can we cut Florida from the mainland first? Kind of like getting a vasectomy. I love it. I mean, I've been wanting to do that for a while. Um, but let's see. If England wins, kangaroos will riot. Sure. Um, Aussies should get rid of Vegemite. Is Vegemite? It's, it's an English thing, right? I can't remember. Marmite. There's a lot of ites coming out of the UK. We've got Marmite, Vegemite. Termite, I don't know what else is a mite, but apparently it's all edible and it sounds disgusting. Stone to the Bone Dragon said, FIFA is just another pawn, an excuse to profit and capitalize. It is, it is, but I really like soccer. It's so fun. It's so fun to watch. And I really like watching it in Spanish and I love the announcers. I love the, you know, the goal announcement, the grita, the grito. I just like it and I like watching it and the players are hot. Okay. I digress. Um, and that guys, that's been our show. Thank you guys so much for being here. Please become patrons. I'm sorry. Let's, let's wind this down with a fart song. Hell yeah. Oh, I didn't read comments. I'll read them in a second. Thank you so much to all the new patrons at $10 or more. Christopher Cardinal. Hell yeah. Philine Lexius. Yay. Christina Finnerty. Thank you so much. The farts are extra loud today. Turn that down. Um, thank you to the Twitch subs. Let's see. We got uh, Depressed Progressive resubscribing at one month for tier one. 16 months subscribe. Happy subversary, pretty mama. We missed you. Oh, thank you so much. Rian, uh, Rialan giving out three community subs. That's so nice of you. You're wonderful. Um, the Jukesters resubscribe for one month of tier one. Subscribe for three months. Good to have you back. Good to be back, dude. Uh, Squirrely Coney resubscribe for one month of tier one. Subscribe for nine months. Squirrely ba Twitch Baby sends a nut to Francesca. <laughs> I got that. And Adam the uh, Adam the bomb. Oh, Adam Bomb resubscribing for one month of tier one. Subscribe for nine months. I love it. And Just Czar also resubscribing. You've been subscribed for 21 months. Holy shit. Is that a record? Um, thank you all so much uh, for being here. Let, a couple last, last comments because um, I apologize. I didn't do it uh, earlier. Um, <laughs> Camperman5000. Holy hell. I just heard something about people selling their breast milk to bodybuilders. I believe it. Like, you know that fucking Rogan drinks breast milk. It's disgusting. Um, Rachel Atwood, like a cat delatching de its claws from the furniture. Yeah, similar. Very difficult to delatch. Um, Spacer Woman, thank you for normalizing the breastfeeding combo. Yeah, we need to talk about it more. It happens. It hurts. It's a lot. It's work. Um, Bob Tridge, however, says, my mom didn't breastfeed. I was a formula baby. That's okay. We all turn out. We're all here just eking by. I don't believe it actually makes you smarter. Um, Creative Pixie also mentioning the mom shame for breastfeeding or not breastfeeding. It's a big thing. You, I mean, I have it in my head. I'm like, oh no, I, but I don't want to use formula because then I failed, you know? And I remember my mom breastfed me for three months and part of me was like, 
like when she told me that i was like wow that was like not that long she had to go back to fucking work man and that was before work had like places you could you know you could breastfeed and such and you could uh sorry you could pump baby's crying by the way um is tyt gonna make room for the twituation room again yes tomorrow from two to three twituation room will be tomorrow from two to three do not worry um and then thank you so much jeremy justice for the super chat saying yesterday my neighbor's house was shot up in broad daylight holy shit i support the concept of prison abolition i'm just not sure we're there yet until we really make bigger investments in reducing poverty that's a great point and i appreciate you bringing it up and for your super chat um <laughs> and then back to breastfeeding um lee lee leho leho says, since trans women can breastfeed, cis men must be able to lactate. But cis men would not breastfeed because they're weak. Uh, an envy who chose not to yeet the teat because that's gross for me anyway. I think I understand most of what you said, but I appreciate the super chat. Um, Beatnik, thank you for your super sticker. Todd Roy asking us to change the subject. I think that might have also been from the breast, the breast uh, feeding convo. Um, anywho, you guys, appreciate y'all. Thank you so much to all the patrons. I will see you in the bonus show. Remember, we stream every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. Thank you to Paige Omek, to Maximilian Inhoff, to Alexandra Orness, and to Andy Vasoyan. Um, follow the show on Twitter, Pod, TikTok, and Instagram, at Franny Fio. And uh, remember, y'all, fight the power. Fuck the patriarchy. And don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Peace. <laughs>